Let's stand together at this time, and we're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 today, continuing on a series simply about heaven, about heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> Can you imagine what it'd be like to get a vision of heaven? Or as Paul describes in this passage, to be caught up into heaven. And actually have an experience where you're there. Some years ago I listened to a rather famous television evangelist from Louisiana. And he told of how he was staying in a hotel room in Magnolia, Arkansas. And from that hotel room, he was transported to heaven. He's written a book about it, preached about it a lot of times. And uh, the manager of the motel was quoted as having said that people still to this day come to Magnolia and request that particular room, hoping for a repeat performance. Um, I can only say that the man's so-called experience and revelations about heaven does not match what the Bible says. So I think you know which one of those two that I'm going to believe. Okay, I'm, I'm interested in knowing what the Bible says about heaven and for that matter about everything else. Um, but our text then records a time when a man made a visit to heaven. That's what Paul calls him. I knew a man. I keep wanting to say, I knew a guy, I knew a guy, I knew a man, he said, above 14 years ago. Now, most commentaries agree that Paul was talking biographically with characteristic modesty because his whole chapter was talking about the revelations that he had received from the Lord and, and the abundance of revelations that he had received. And uh, so, if so, this then would be one of them. But, you know, being a, a, a literalist as we are, we look at the Bible and what it actually says, and we'll just leave it right where it is. Paul said, I knew a man above 14 years ago, and such a man, he says, was caught up into the third heaven. Twice he declares that he did not know whether this experience was an in-the-body experience or an out-of-body experience. Now we know that both things have happened at times in the scriptures. Elijah, for example, was caught up in the body into heaven. Remember that chariot of fire that carried him up? Without the touch of the death dew upon his brow, R.G. Lee said, Elijah went to heaven in the body. As far as we know, Enoch did as well. Enoch walked with God. 
And he was not, for the Lord took him in the body. Not sure how that worked out exactly, but he was in the body. It was not an out-of-body experience. Ezekiel, on the other hand, had an out-of-body experience. In fact, he had several of them. As he described how that the Lord took him up in the spirit. And in the spirit then, he went from Babylon where he was living to Jerusalem. And, and in the spirit, he had an, what we could only call an out-of-body experience. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He said, I can't tell you for sure whether this man was caught up in the body into the third heaven. Or whether it was an out-of-body experience. Interestingly, Paul didn't say a word about what he saw. Wasn't even on his mind. It's what he heard. What he heard. He heard things he said that it's not lawful to utter. That is, this man was not permitted to repeat what God told him. Again, that's not unknown to us. There are other passages of Scripture that identify the exact same thing. Re Revelation chapter 10 and verse 4. This is John the Apostle. And he said, When the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. John was not permitted to write or to speak about what the seven thunders had said. It's part of God's revelation. And God wanted us to know that he didn't give us the whole picture. I think about Revelation 10.4 quite a bit because, uh, uh, you know, there's just some things that God has not told us yet about the end times. And every time I think I'm getting pretty close to getting all of my theology just where it ought to be, about the second coming, I'll think about Revelation 10. And the fact that God didn't give us all the information. He kept some of it to himself. The experience then that this man in our text had was similar. Some experiences, you see, are so personal that they're really not intended to be shared. But if I'm going to make a move... If I'm going to move to a new town or a new state or a new place, I want to find out as much as I can about it. Back when we still had kids at home, I would research the schools to find out how the schools were doing. And uh, still, would, I'd look at the crime rate, just look a little bit about it. Is the city growing or declining? Now, you say, now, Brother Rich, if God sends you there, none of those things matters. You're exactly right. If God sends me somewhere, I'll go. It's just the way it is. I'm not looking for that to happen anytime soon, but that's just the way it is. All of our moves in my entire life have all been led by the Spirit of God. And I'm very thankful that whenever God has said to me, Rich, you need to go, uh, Nancy is already packing. I mean, it just seems like it's all, she, she knew too, it was time to go. And there's never been any question about that. My family have loaded them up around the place. But still, just in a human kind of way, we want to know about a place where we're going to go and live for a while. I want to know about heaven. We're going to be there a lot longer than a little while. 
John Newton described it this way. He said, I'm still in the land of the dying, but I shall soon be in the land of the living. That's heaven. I want to know what the Bible tells us about the land of the living. I believe it's important to us. God has not given us a, an incredible amount of information, but he has given us some. Our, our message this morning is going to be uh, heavy in Scripture. I don't apologize for that at all. I'm going to show you a lot of things that are found in Scripture about heaven. And, and number one, I, I want to talk a little bit more, even though I mentioned it to you. Most of the time, if I ask you which way is heaven, most of us would point up because we know that down uh, heads to the other place. The place the Bible calls hell. Hell's at the center of the earth. Heaven, then we'd point up. Well, I don't want to go down, I want to go up. And of course, since the earth is a ball and it's spinning around in space 25,000 miles an hour, uh, what I'm pointing at one minute would be something else. So which way is heaven? The <laughs> Bible gives us an answer. Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. The city of the great king. Now, since Paul has called this the third heaven, we need to talk about that a moment. The first heaven is our atmosphere. It's about seven miles thick, give or take a little. Uh, seven miles thick. That's the first heaven, the blue sky that we see, the place where the clouds are. The second heaven in Scripture was spoken of concerning the place of the stars, the sun, the moon. Uh, the second heaven. How far does it go? We don't know. We don't know. But somewhere beyond the second heaven is the third heaven. The third heaven. Now, we might think that uh, because we measure the second heaven in terms of light years, and that's the distance that light, which travels at 186,000, give or take, uh, miles per second, travels in a year, we measure it by light years. If you could travel at the speed of light, then it would take you all these many years. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to heaven at the incredibly slow speed of light. If it's past the second heaven, then heaven's got to be a long way away. But in another way, it's got to be really close because, you know, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today, 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 you'll be with me in paradise. That tells me God has another uh, speed to move us around. And for lack of a better way of describing it, I call it the speed of thought, only it's faster than that. The Bible talks about the rapture, that it's going to happen in a moment. How quick? The twinkling of an eye, faster than that. Faster than the speed of thought. That's how God is going to move us around. The Bible says it this way. To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Close our eyes on this life. Open it in the next. Close our life in the land of the dying. Open it up. In the land of the living. The speed of thought. But since the earth is a sphere and... Since we know about east and west and north and south, I find it interesting that the Bible describes heaven 
as the side of the north, on the north side. It's not the only time. Lucifer knew that too. Isaiah 14 and 13, For thou said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. The north star is Polaris. Polaris. I taught my boys how to find the North Star. If you don't know how and you want to find out sometime, uh, uh, take me deer hunting. I'll show you. Um, whenever you see the North Star at any season of the year, it's always north. And it never, ever changes. My favorite constellation it's called the Pleiades. Uh, it looks like uh, a small kite. It's actually made of seven visible stars. The sixth and seventh are so faint that you can barely see them with the naked eye. You almost have to be out in a place where there's almost no artificial light at all to see all seven. You might think, well, I can look at them in my binoculars and then I'll see all seven. No, when you look at them in your binoculars, you'll not only see those seven, uh, but you will see thousands of stars it, there's clusters whole galaxies of stars that could be seen uh, through the Pleiades constellation the Pleiades rises in the east in the fall of the year and if it has long enough it would actually set in the west but you could see it it comes up it has a tail like a kite and and that tail is always pointing east and, if I can't see the North Star, I can always count on the Pleiades. It'll always tell me where it is. You say, well, Brother Rich, why don't you just look at your phone? All right. <laughs> I'm old-fashioned, okay? I don't trust them things. Uh, and sometimes, as you well know, you're out in a place where you don't have good signal. And uh, I just, the stars have always got me out. And I just hadn't learned how to navigate by phone real good yet. For one thing, it blinds you when you look at it. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little off track. Y'all forgive me. Polaris. Need to know where the North Star is. Find the Big Dipper. The two stars always point to it. Up, down, sideways, always north. Never change. One of the reasons why I'm so fond of the North Star is because I know when I'm looking at the North Star, I'm looking toward heaven. Somewhere out there, far, far beyond, is the throne of God. Heaven is on the side of the North. And I can find North, and I know out there is where heaven is. By the way, the North Star Polaris is 433 light years from Earth. 433 light years. Yeah. Just makes it a lot more precious to me knowing that, to know that the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We serve an awesome God. Awesome God. Where is heaven? What does heaven look like? Well, let's look in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible actually gives us several visions or several looks, if you will, at heaven. 
After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a voice of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardine stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. We had not seen a rainbow like that one, by the way. It's green. Around the throne were 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thundering, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The centerpiece of heaven is easy to grasp. There's a throne there and it's occupied. One sits on throne. That's the centerpiece of heaven is the throne of God. So whenever we think of heaven, first and foremost, we need to think of it as the abode of Almighty God, the throne of God. The writer of Hebrews describes a similar scene for us in Hebrews chapter 12. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and in blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore, For they could not endure what was commanded, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot through with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceeding fearful and trembling. Now what he has just described is a scene from Mount Sinai. It was the place, one of those times, where God came down to this earth. And there on Mount Sinai was that meeting that took place with Moses. And what he describes was the fact that under the penalty of death, they were forbidden to approach that mountain. God said, I'm here, you can't come here. Only Moses uh, could go. And even he was afraid. By contrast, in verse 22, he says, You have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn ones who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now, God had entered the temple when Isaiah was there. Ezekiel saw the throne of God by the river Shivar in Babylon. Moses, of course, saw that throne room of God in a sense as it came down on Mount Sinai. But now, all of that has been replaced because Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth. Compared to those other times when God had come down, it was kind of a meager thing in a way. He was pushed out into a a stable, born and laid in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, but his, of course, was no ordinary birth. Amen, amen. The Son of God had been born. God came near. The writer of Hebrews then tells us that the greatest experience of the law was Moses on Mount Sinai. 
But everybody else was forbidden. But that is not our experience in the new covenant because we have full access under the throne of God. It's called the throne of grace in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 where we can boldly come so that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When God was on Mount Sinai, folks, if even a deer were somehow to wander its way up there on the mountain, there were guards posted to kill the thing if it touched the mountain. Even a beast, innocent as it were, just wandering around, wild animal, and yet it was to be killed. If it even touched the mountain, much less any person, it was to die if they touched the mountain. What a contrast. Because now we have the new and living way through Jesus Christ. Now we can come boldly under the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are coming to that place. John described it for us. He said, there is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. There is an innumerable host of angels. There's the church of the firstborn ones we'll talk about in just a moment. Those who are registered in heaven. God is there. Jesus is there. And the spirits of your loved ones and mine who have died in the Lord are there. Now these experiences then that we have in Jesus Christ and coming boldly to the throne of God, all of these things are giving us a vision of heaven. One of them very obviously focused on the throne of God. The writer of the book of Hebrews focuses on what's all going on around the throne of God as the angels are celebrating and the spirits of those who are already there and They're around the throne of God. And then that group of which you and I are a part. Who are registered there. We're enrolled there. But we're not there yet. John gives us another view of heaven. Where the emphasis is on the heavenly city. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 10, he continues, He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, And had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And if that doesn't represent the Old Testament and the New Testament folk, I don't know what it means. He that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof and the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. The length and breadth and height of it are equal. In this passage, 
Heaven is described as a city. We've never seen a city like this. It's a cube. It's a cube. How big? 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. If you were standing on the western border of Texas and you went all the way to the Gulf Coast of Florida on the east and went all the way north, uh, that's about how big a footprint that city is going to have. But remember, it's just as tall as it is long and wide. So it's not just area, but it has all of these many places. How much room is there going to be? Well, uh, well about 25 billion, I think. Give or take one or two <laughs> uh, can live there. Interestingly, the Bible gives us almost as much in, in, information about what's not going to be there as, as uh, does about what is going to be there. Revelation 21, 4, God shall wipe, wipe away all tears from their eyes. No tears in heaven. No more death. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Verse 8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second day. What's heaven look like? Well, sometimes it looks like a whole lot of people. And uh, sometimes it just you know, all the emphasis is on the throne of God. And sometimes it's called a city. Uh, but even then, there's no night there, no light there, because the throne, the Lamb of God himself is the light. Lastly, this morning then, who gets to go to heaven? Where is heaven? What does heaven look like? Who gets to go? Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, Jesus said, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written where? In heaven. Yeah, your names are written in heaven. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15 talks about the alternatives. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now remember that the writer of Hebrews alluded to this as well because he talked about people whose names, he said, are written in heaven. Those who are written in heaven. Make no mistake this morning, the only people who get to go to heaven are the ones who have a reservation. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And there will come a time, a time of judgment when Jesus is sitting on the great white throne and, and just so nobody, nobody would go away saying, well, you know, they didn't check. Would you please double check? Well, the very fact that they're at the great white throne judgment tells us, number one, that they are not believers in Jesus Christ. But it was there that the Bible said that whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Burns forever and ever and ever. 
folk, this is one place. You want your name written down. You want it written in heaven. How do you get your name written down in heaven? Well, you know, it seems to be a growing concept in our world that, that everybody's going to go to heaven. There's, I've, I've listened to a couple of country music songs that even suggest my bird dog's going to go to heaven. Now, I know you love old blue. I, I do. But uh, let's just understand that that the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ tasted death for every what? Every man, every person, humanity. It's only humanity that was included in the redemptive purpose of God in Jesus Christ. And the only way you get in on, on that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you might be saved. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not, not, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, that salvation, that's not of yourself. It is the gift of God. How do you get your name written in the Lamb's book of life? How do you make sure, how do you know that your name is written in heaven? And that is, folk, we must receive God's free gift of salvation to us. Jesus said that. He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to those that Believe on His name. Whosoever believeth on Him, Jesus said, should not perish but have everlasting life. You'll see it over and over and over and over again. The same message. People are saved by grace through faith. By grace through faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The one time the question was asked, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. A lot of people miss this whole concept because they think that what the Bible asks them to do is believe in Jesus. And they end up believing in Jesus. I mean, they've heard about him all their life. They know who he is. Yeah, born of a, a virgin. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I know, I know who Jesus is. But listen, the devil know who Jesus is. But the devils aren't saved. It is to believe on Him. That's what we do when we trust Him. We understand that we're sinners and He is not. I can't save myself. And I believe Him. I trust Him to do for me what I can't do. And that is a specific moment in time where under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God, God has convicted us of our sins. We'd never figure that out on our own. But God convicts us of our sin and some of you in this building this morning might be feeling it right where you sit. What you're feeling is that convicting power of the Holy Spirit and what's He telling you? He's telling you that it's time for you to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Believe 
on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him to be your Savior. And He will. An eternal transaction takes place the moment that happens. If you've ever bought a house, you know what it means to have your name written down on a mortgage. It means the bank owns you for the next 20 years. That's a or 30. You ever bought a car? <laughs> you and Ford Credit Company. You sign that document, buddy, it's on there. Maybe you want to come back to them and contest it sometime a little bit later. I don't think I ever signed that. No, I guarantee you, they'll show you real quick. Yep, it's written down. You're on the spot. It's there. We know when we sign our name on a check, Although it's been several years since I've written one, we know that that is an authorization legally authorizing the bank to transfer money to a certain place, whoever it is the check is made out to. We know our signature on something, our name written on something, means something. <laughs> but the greatest place of all for your name to be written down is in heaven. If you could write your name on a check today for a million dollars, it wouldn't do you a bit of good if you die and go to hell because your name isn't written in heaven where it counts. Most of all, is your name written there on the page wide and fair in the book of God's kingdom? Is your name written there?